Shalom everyone, I'm Monty Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries. Welcome to our Saturday morning Torah study. Uh, this is uh, the year that we're going through the Torah portions and we're emphasizing how the Torah is for all people. Now, we're going to be in a very interesting portion of the book of Leviticus. In fact, our study begins at Leviticus uh, chapter 12. And it's going to be a little bit unique because this particular Sabbath of this year, we have a double portion. Not only do we have the Tazria portion, but what follows is the Metzora portion in chapter 14. Both of these portions are going to deal with the subject of leprosy. One is going to talk about how you diagnose that you have it. The other one's going to talk about the law of the cleansing of the leper. But it also is going to address on a much broader scale uh, the subject of clean and unclean. Now, in last week's portion, Shemini, uh, we talked about how the priest had the duty and the responsibility to distinguish between the holy and the unholy, or the holy and the profane, and that it was their task to offer counsel to the children of Israel concerning those things. And then we also, in chapter 11, we got introduced to the idea of clean and unclean animals to be determined as food. And you have to begin with a clean animal, and then it must be koshered. It must be made fit and proper as to be butchered correctly, not strangled. Uh, the blood has to be vacated from the body, the tissue, and uh, so that the flesh of the animal can then become food. The, this is the area of the Bible, the Torah in particular, where a lot of um, Christians react in a very negative fashion to this. They think, oh, I don't want to know about all that clean, unclean stuff. In fact, I remember many years ago when I went to speak at a different location, was introduced to the leader that was there, and when he heard that I was a Torah teacher, he said, well, he ain't going to be teaching that stuff because I don't want to hear about all that clean and unclean nonsense. And, of course, um, I took note of that. And then I, when I got up and had the opportunity to teach, I explained about he has his own rules for clean and unclean. He believes in clean and unclean, but he's got his own rules. He doesn't want to follow God's rules. Uh, everybody that goes through and studies this, there is a major spiritual lesson that comes out of this. Looking back, when we were in the book of Exodus, we looked at the tabernacle and how it's a pattern, a model, that explains something that's in here, that how God takes up his dwelling place in the hearts of the believers, and that there's a temple, a tabernacle in here that has all those elements that we saw in the tabernacle instruction. This particular portion, talking about clean and unclean, is going to explain, are you ready for this? Instead of holy things that are in you, unholy things that are in you things that, that corrupt you, things that bring about harm to you personally. And that these spiritual laws that clean and unclean can be directly applicable to certain behaviors, certain attitudes, certain things that we do that bring it about. Let me just cut right to the punchline. 
In the ancients, the way the instruction was doing is if a person was diagnosed with leprosy, then they had to announce to other people, they were, they, within the community, they had to inform them, I'm unclean. In fact, the leper, if he was moving around, he would, he would feign away from people and he'd go, unclean, unclean, unclean. He was referring to himself. So people would avoid him because leprosy at that point, this type that we're having, highly infectious, and they used to call it um, the walking death because it destroys uh, parts of your body, your skin. I mean, when people get this bad, they lose fingers, toes, they lose their nose, they lose their ears. Uh, it's a degenerative uh, skin and tissue thing. Eventually, it degenerates your vital organs and you die. Uh, very terrible disease. They, 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 so they used to call it the walking death. And these wounds, and so they ooze, and they're highly infectious. Um, and so it was a, a frightening thing in the ancient times uh, with regard to that. Now, in our modern times, thank goodness, we have different medical treatments that can help people with this. But I will tell you, in third world nations, there still is leprosy. And without the technology and proper medical treatment, it is a very serious concern. And there are leper colonies where lepers have to live together separate from other peoples uh, for it. And it can be heartbreaking, besides physically demanding for you to have this. So back to our simple teaching. If you go around casting dispersions on other people, criticizing other brothers, speaking very negative, harmful things to devalue them, what you're trying to do is put leprosy on them. You're trying to tell others, oh, that person is unclean. And as a result, you need to avoid them. Now, we're not talking about where we use good spiritual judgment and we assess where true error is taking place. Let's say that someone is uh, behaving in, in a very inappropriate manner and you take note of that. The idea of dealing with that is to bring correction and to restore things. I'm talking about the person who, whether there's a fault or not, takes the position of, I want to devalue that person. I want others to join with me in devaluing that person, to be highly critical of that person, and, and extremely negative of that person, and basically discard them. He, he's doing spiritual leprosy. He's saying, hey, he's a leper. He's unclean. He needs to be separate from us. And you expect him to go around announcing, oh, I'm, I'm messed up. I'm, I'm unclean. Um, and this gets to be very, very nasty. And this happens amongst believers, particularly amongst believers. Let me just tell you that the, uh, the prophecy tells us, in fact, in Luke chapter 6, uh, verses 22 and 23, the same definitions that are used for declaring somebody unclean and so forth. The spiritual leprosy decision, uh, dynamic is described there, where the Lord said, they will hate you. 
They'll ostracize you. They'll cast insults at you. They'll spurn your name. Prophets are warned. That's what people do to them. And that's when people are trying to put spiritual leprosy on someone. You don't have to do it just to a prophet. You can do that same stuff to another believer. Now let me share with you some other spiritual, shall we say, poetic justice. If you get in the business of you spreading leprosy around about different people, you're coming into contact with it yourself. And you're the one that's going to suffer the consequences. You're the one that's going to bring curses on your life. I would like to remind everybody that the Lord gave us a wonderful promise as being the descendants of Abraham. I will bless those that bless thee. I will curse those that curse thee. And by the way, that applies to every descendant of Abraham. That's you and me as believers in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When some of our spiritual brethren come up to us and they curse us when they do this kind of level activity, they curse themselves. Now, how you deal with that is up to you as to trusting the Lord as to how, whether you're going to react to that and believe what they said. But you should be very aware of the fact that if you do that against other brethren, that's what's coming on you because that promise from God is on that other person. God said for every believer, somebody curses you, they'll be cursed. When brethren get into this mode of action, they are actually cursing themselves. And we have lots of curses on us because we've been behaving in this manner way too much. Second uh, Corinthians 2.15, adding to this thing, Paul says to us that as believers that we all cast off a fragrance, a spiritual fragrance, if you will. And this is part of that same Torah concept. And that if you're in the Messiah, obeying the Messiah, you cast off this sweet fragrance to other believers. But if you're... Um, if you're in one of these dynamics where you've got somebody who's cursing you, the fragrance they smell is very foul. It's almost like if you catch a whiff of somebody who's uh, just passed gas, or you catch a whiff of them after they've been perspired heavily, and, and they're, the body odor of them. It, it, it's almost like that, that the smell, the fragrance that your life casts off, it's like offensive to them. And they're reacting like, you know, that you're, you're stinking the place up. And that's part of the mechanism that triggers spiritual leprosy. And that's what they will be doing with other people. They'll say, hey, he stinks. I don't like the way he smells. You know, and that has nothing to do with justice or acts of disobedience or where correction is needed or whatever. When you're, when you're concerned about the odor of a person, you're failing to understand that's a natural part of it. You know, maybe he needs to take a bath or use some antiperspirant or something. Uh, but you making a big deal about it is that you're looking for something 
to find fault, so that you can assault, so you can ostracize, so you can make them, quote, unclean. You know, so for all of those who would say, hey, these instructions here in the Torah about clean and unclean, they don't apply to us anymore. We're, we're Christians. They don't apply to us. This part of the Torah is not for us. Let me assure you that the lesson that comes from the Torah very much so is a part of life today. It's absolutely crucial, not only that you should learn the difference between holy and the profane, between the difference of things you call food and are koshered, but you need to understand clean and unclean. Now, as I said to you before, you already do it. You already do it. So let me, let me share something with you. I'm going to jump over here to... Um, I've got this in my notes in my Bible. Let me find it real quickly because I want to have... Oh, here we go. This is the summary of these two portions and so forth. Essentially the mechanism where you define something that's unclean, okay, because the Bible does specify certain things. It has to do with diagnosis of illnesses. It has to do with leprosy. But leprosy was the example that was given because it was the best one to understand this concept. Let me give you a listing, a practical listing of the things from a diagnostic standpoint that you look at that you would call unclean. And I can assure you that every Christian, as I go through the list, you will answer the question and say, yes, that's unclean. See, you do believe in clean and unclean. Are you ready? This is under the banner of what we call grossology. Bodily fluids, you know, fluids and semi-fluids that come out of your body, we all call them unclean want nothing to do with them. Seminal fluids, the ejaculate, nobody wants to come into contact with that. Spit, nobody thinks spit is a good thing or clean, you know, for it. If you have issues of blood, if a woman is on her period, everybody agrees. Don't touch, don't come into contact, unclean. Are you ready for this? How about earwax? You want to feel some earwax from some other guy? Ugly. Tears, amazingly enough, people don't want tears from another person on them. Or how about their fingernail trimming? You know, let's trim our fingernails and you can play with my fingernails. No, no thank you. Not interested, just keep it to yourself. How about dead skin? How about flakes? How about your dandruff that comes off your head? Or flaky dry skin? And you, you want that sprinkled on you? You want to come into contact with that? Good old sweat. Oh yes, I love to go up and hug and get into contact, personal contact, with a person who's profusely sweating. I mean, it's like ugh. Any kind of discharge, how about snot? Some guy blows his nose and it gets on you. Oh my gosh. Oh, I love this one. He's got a little bit of a cold and he coughs up phlegm. You know, that green chunky stuff, you know, that comes out, you know. How about that? Huh? 
or uh, let's see, belly button length. Who, who wants to play with that? Huh? And of course, we all love scabs. Don't put your scab on me and scabby stuff. Now, it's all gross. The Bible says all of that's unclean. See, it turns out in our daily walk, we have to deal with issues of clean and unclean. This is the reason why we bathe. It's to remove those kinds of things. That's the reason why we blow our nose. That's the reason why we tend our cold and we cover our, our mouth. We, we, we don't want to put that stuff on other people. We, we're making an effort to keep the environment around us clean so that we don't have that problem. Now, along the way, we have some places in the New Testament where it brings up some of these issues, and the New Testament understands how important this subject is. There's a wonderful story uh, that's in Mark chapter 5 where there's a woman who has had a chronic menstrual problem uh, of where she has been uh, bleeding for some 12 years. And she just, and as a result, she's not permitted to go to the temple. She can never get her body in a clean state. She can't come into contact with it for 12 years. This is terrible. And nobody wants, they know about the issue. Nobody wants to come into contact with her whatsoever. And she sees Yeshua coming along, and she desperately wants healing. She's gone to doctors, and they haven't been able to help her and things like that. And this is where she reached out in the crowd. She maneuvered her way in close enough reached out and grabbed the fringe of his garment and immediately the power left Yeshua and cleansed her. Really what was at work was her faith and coming into contact with the Messiah. Now the Messiah sensed this. He knew what's happening. He, he turned around and he said, who touched me? And, you know, of course the disciples were looking at that situation. They said, what do you mean? Who touched you? I mean, you're in a crowd of people. So no, 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 somebody, somebody touched me. And so the woman confessed. And uh, we have a very important lesson uh, that goes like this. The person who can cleanse you from spiritual leprosy is the Messiah. He can remove the curses. Uh, it's a spiritual law. He who hangs on a tree is cursed. Um, and one of the worst kinds of deaths for execution is to be hung. Because essentially, when you hang them and you execute them, you're, you're putting the final curse on them. Uh, and so that's the reason why it's a severe punishment for criminals. But in the case of the Romans, rather than just hanging them, they would crucify them. They'd put them on a wooden stake and let them die there. And the whole idea was to, that was understood, was to curse them. So when Yeshua was being crucified, it was specifically being done so that curses would be put on him. Not only sins to be laid upon him and burdened on him, but curses specifically to be put on him. And the reason why that method of death for the Messiah is so important to us is because the truth of the matter is sins kind of are visible. 
you know, a person misbehaves, it's, it's kind of visible. But when a person is cursed, it's not so visible. When they're playing the game of spiritual leprosy, it's hidden. It, you don't really see it. It's covered up. So Yeshua's payment for us was to cover all of our curses. A lot of uh, brethren uh, in the faith today, they will talk about the subject of generational curses uh, because God has said in his character that if you misbehave and get a curse, um, that it can extend to the third and fourth generation. That secret sins are the ones that merit curses. And if you want to see a whole list of secret sins that God says that that's about, you can go right to Deuteronomy 27. And in that portion, the children of Israel were required, when they got ready to come into the Promised Land, they had to make a series of statements of what would be blessings, and they all had to make a series of statements of what would be curses. And a lot of the curses come from what we call secret or hidden types of sins. When a person is casting insults against you, they don't do it to your face. They go tell it to other people. They talk behind your back. They do it so it's kind of hidden and cloaked and covered. And that's the reason why it merits curses on them. It's because they're using that particular dark method to be able to do um, that kind of activity. And that's what the Torah addresses. It addresses this kind of activity and how the only solution to it, not only for the woman who had the issue of blood unclean according to that, but for all of us who've merited curses on ourselves for the way we have behaved with others and for others who've done with us, the only way we can be cleansed is the Messiah is the one that does it. He's the one that paid the price. <clears throat> He's the one that has made the, the justice part of the Torah, the commandments of the Lord. They have been satisfied for God because payment has been rendered and in exchange, you're made free of it. You know, if a, if a man goes out and breaks the law and the punishment is he pays a fine <clears throat> and he pays the fine, it's over. It's done. He doesn't continue to walk around being guilty. The matter has been concluded. Same thing with curses. But here's the difficulty. A lot of people allow curses to linger. A lot of people, have you ever heard anybody um, uh, say, you know, I'm just cursed. No matter what happens, hey, I'm just cursed. Uh, or you maybe have heard somebody say that. Um, they're allowing it to linger. They're not cleaning it up. You know, if you're dirty, you're sweaty and so forth, how do you clean it up? Go take a shower. Get some soap out. Clean yourself up. Put clean clothes on. You know, do something about that. Get, get back in right order. Which reminds me, when the Lord got ready to give us the Torah, one of the first things he instructed the children of Israel to do before they... Um, did it, he said, take a bath, put clean clothes on. I'm not mixing what I'm doing here with your unclean ways. You're going to get cleaned up, and then I'm going to give you that stuff. Um, and that's, those are steps about how we should deal with 
those kind of issues in our life or in, in other people's lives. The, the key is get them clean and then let's go forward from there and not do that again. Um, part of a mikvah bath, part of the reason we do a mikvah bath is it symbolizes the washing away of sin. It symbolizes we wash that so that you can come forth and you're new and clean to deal with the Lord and dwell with the Lord. And so our testimony of having a mikvah bath is that we're removing all that spiritual unclean stuff that was in our life and we're starting fresh with the Lord. Why, and as I mentioned to you before, why would God insist that they have to take a bath before he gives them the Torah? Let me uh, share an observation with you, uh, having been in the Messianic movement as long as I have, about how people come into the Messianic movement. Just like the pattern of what happened of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and making their way to Mount Sinai, we see the same kind of pattern uh, that takes place with new people coming to the Messianic movement. They come out of the church. One of the first things that happen to a lot of Messianic brethren is they come to terms with the Passover and they come to terms with this idea of the blood of the Lamb of God covering us and the Passover moving us from death to life. We have a death sentence against us because of sin and we finally get forgiveness of sin and we're passed from death to life. And a, a lot of new brethren come in and one of the first things that happens to them when they begin interested in the Messianic uh, teaching and, and so forth, somebody invites them to a Passover Seder. And they participate in a Passover Seder and they see this and they suddenly realize this is far more meaningful Christian thing than they've ever done in their life before because they're sitting at the table with the Lord with his disciples. And uh, that stirs them to then want to know more you know, about that teaching. And just like what we've talked about here, they came out of Egypt and the first thing they did was cross the Red Sea. Paul teaches us that the crossing of the Red Sea is symbolized when you go through a mikvah, if you get baptized. It's like the crossing of the Red Sea. You're leaving Egypt. You now have a testimony of salvation because when the children of Israel were out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea, that was when they were saved from Egypt. They were saved from Pharaoh. And what followed then on their journey to um, Mount Sinai is they had to come to terms with Sabbath, not journeying on the Sabbath, and they had to come to terms with eating manna. And so God changed their diet and their weekly routine. And so new messianics come in, they have to learn about Sabbath, and they're introduced to kosher foods. And, you know, they make the decision to, okay, I guess I'm not going to eat bacon anymore. And other, I'm not going to eat pork. And then they came to Mount Sinai, and that's where God then gave the Torah, and they get themselves into a Torah study. So in the Messianic movement, you being a part of this, it's like you're at the base of Mount Sinai, learning the instructions of the Lord, just like our ancestors did, and you know that ultimately you're on this journey where you're going to be going to the Promised Land. But just like our ancestors, they had to go through a much longer period of time 
than they were anticipating. They had to spend 40 years in the wilderness because of their misbehavior. You and I, we're staring into the great tribulation before we get to go to the promised land. So there's a pattern that, uh, that is replicated in us that was the same one that our ancestors went through. Uh, in a strange sort of way, that's the reason why we identify with Israel. We, we're part of Israel. We're, we're going through the same issues that our ancestors went through, and we're all trying to learn these instructions. It's at Mount Sinai when they received the Torah, they got a whole new definition for guidelines for life. What, what are the rules for life? Here's the Creator God explaining to us there are certain things in this world that are clean and certain things that are unclean. Stay away from the unclean. There are certain things in this world that are holy versus profane. Don't do the profane thing, do the holy thing like me. When it comes to food, you're going to call certain things that I call food, you're going to call it food, and that other stuff that's not food, you're not going to eat that. You know, can you imagine them bringing a pig to the altar of God? By the way, that's been done to desecrate the altar in the past. It is terrible. If something is unacceptable to be put on the altar of God in Jerusalem, what makes you think it would be acceptable to God for you to bring it to the altar that's inside of you, the temple of God? In last week's portion where we were in Shemini, we looked at the kosher list. And I've always used this humorous expression to a certain extent, especially when I'm dealing with some of my uh, former Baptist brethren. And I, I get to do this because I used to be a Baptist, so I can get away with this. Um, you know, when they'll ask me and they say, are you saying that I have to keep kosher to be able to be saved? I said, no, no. But if you don't keep kosher, you're going to go to heaven a lot faster. And because one of the things we learn about the commandments of the Lord he gives them to you so that you can have a full life, so you can have the blessings. And by the way, he doesn't want you to be sickly and he doesn't want you to be harmed here. He wants you to live. He serves the God. He is the God of the living. And if he's our God, we're supposed to be the living people. So any kind of a disease, any kind of these unclean things, these are, it's an aberration to who we are and what we're about. And so he gives these instructions so that we don't mix them, so we don't have them going back and forth. Here in these two portions, uh, as I mentioned to you before, the diagnostic elements and the laws of how to cleanse the leper and so forth, it's teaching us all of these spiritual laws about how this works. The, um, let's talk about the law of the cleansing of the leper because this is very interesting for us, because it directly ties into Yeshua's ministry. You know, remember, there was a time when there were 10 lepers that came to Yeshua, and he cleansed all of them, he healed all of them, and he gave instruction to them after he cleansed them, after he healed them, he said, go to the priest in the temple and show yourself there as a testimony. Because you see, the Torah specifically specifies that if you have a person who becomes clean from leprosy, whatever his issue is of unclean things, he gets it resolved, then he is to go to the temple and announce to the priest that I formerly was unclean and I have now been clean, 
I've become clean. And the priest is the one who, according to these instructions, he's going to examine you, question you, and determine if that's true. If it is true, then he has a procedure that you have to go through, a very elaborate procedure. You have to cut the hair off of your head, you have to off your eyebrows, you have to cut your beard off, you got to take your body hair off, you got to get some turtle doves, you got to get a hyssop branch, and you're going to slay one turtle dove and, and, and sprinkle with the, the, the blood of the bird, and, and one bird is going to be set free. And it, this elaborate procedure, temple procedure, had to be done. In fact, the priests and the sages of Israel asked a rather interesting question about this Torah portion. And it goes like this. Well, we have lots of sacrifices and lots of ritual things that we do in the temple as part of our faith. Why did Moses and God give us such an elaborate, detailed procedure for the law of the cleansing of the leper? You know what they concluded? They concluded that we should pay close attention in the land of Israel. And when the day comes that a whole bunch of former lepers come to the temple and say they've been made clean, that will be a sign that the Messiah is in the land. That was, that was an expectation. That was a prophecy. So when Yeshua said to the lepers, go to the priest at the temple and show yourself to be a testimony to them so you can testify to them the Messiah is in the land. And during the days of Yeshua, there were a lot of lepers that were cleansed, and they all went to the temple. He did come, and he was meeting this expectation, and it was because of the Torah. The Messiah was working in conjunction with the deep meanings of the Torah. I got to tell you, when I hear some of my Christian brethren poo-poo the commandments of clean and unclean. There's a part of me that I would like to just grab them by the collar and set them down and try to teach them some sense. There's another part of me that says, Monty, you were once even more ignorant than that, and God was gracious to you, and it took a while, but he, he taught you a few things. Maybe you should extend a little grace to those persons and let the Lord teach them, just like he did you. And so I soften my heart, and I'm simply reminded of the fact there's a lot of things in this Torah we all need to learn. And so I've committed myself to as best I can to try to teach some of this instruction so that the brethren can be aware of it and shall know about it. Um, the... Uh, I want to take you to chapter uh, 15 and verse 31. There is a kind of a concluding uh, statement that's made in here of these double portion that we've got. And it goes like this. Thus you shall keep the sons of Israel separated from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by their defiling my tabernacle that is among them. Now, it's one thing to have a curse and be unclean and suffer the long-term effects of it. It's a whole nother thing 
if you think that in your spiritual life you can be willingly unclean and then you decide, I'm still going to go deal with the Lord the way I want. And as you know, the tabernacle of the Lord is in here. And in your heart, if you think that you're going to go in defiantly before the Lord, knowing full well that you're violating his commandments and definition for being clean and unclean, and you decide you're going to go ahead and test the Lord on it, don't do it. He says very clearly here, you defile my tabernacle, you die. I will not have unclean things in there. Uh, let me give you a modern day example of that so you kind of get the real picture here. I can remember as a young boy going to my grandmother's house and it had been raining and as a young boy I was out there having fun and my shoes got muddy. I mean mud was caked all over it, it was wet and falling off and, and I decided to walk into grandma's house with those shoes on. Well, there was a lightning bolt that came out of Grandma that hit me. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you that's what happens to you if you defile the tabernacle of the Lord. You all can see that scene of how instantaneously this is objectionable to the person who's in charge of that house. I can assure you this is highly objectionable to the Lord concerning these matters. And with that given then you should know that um, you should learn about that and so that you don't do it. I'm going to just share one last thing that comes out of this, one little detail out of this teaching as a conclusion uh, to our service um, and these portions. Uh, and it has to do why would God give this instruction to cut the hair on your head, cut the hair off your eyebrows, and remove your entire beard. Why would he do that? Why take all the hair that is of your head? And the answer is because those are the signs of you humbling yourself and submitting yourself only to God. By taking the hair off of your head, it's the first step of humility. Because when you come before the Lord, you lower your head. When you pray, you bow your head. That's a sign of humility before God. A bow is a sign of humility. The, um, the reason why the eyebrows, hairs are trimmed is because you look down now. You don't look around. You bow your head. You look down. And finally, your beard is taken off, which surrounds your mouth, and you, you ready for this? Shut your mouth. You can tell a person who is truly humbled, bow their head, they don't look at you, and they don't say anything. So God used those simple, real-world examples as a part of this procedure to emphasize the humility that we are to exercise when we come before the Lord, especially when we come to terms with 
that he's taken our sins away. He's taken the curses away from us. He has cleansed us from the spiritual leprosy and sin that's in our lives. This is not something we go around proudly announcing about our sin. If you're truly remorseful about your sin and you truly have repented, you humble yourself before the Lord with regard to them. Many, many instructions are in the scripture about humble yourself before the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Don't get ahead of his schedule when it comes to the exalting part. You make sure you get the humility part going first. True wisdom amongst believers. And one of the best testimonies that you'll ever hear is when somebody speaks of another person's humility. Because that is the prerequisite to spiritual greatness. If you're going to be a, a great man or woman of God, I guarantee you all go through the same thing. You humble yourselves first before that ever happens. And part of the, the subject here of dealing with clean and unclean teaches us about those issues. How do you go from this terrible state of unclean, how do you transition to where you're clean and how do you live your life from there? That's what our Torah portion is all about. Very, very important to all of us as believers to understand these principles and to employ, and I have news for you. Just like that kosher list, you're already keeping kosher already. It's just you got different items on the list, and the Lord said, same thing is true about this. We're already keeping these laws. It's just that we need to follow them closely and stop putting leprosy on other people. Because every time you put it on other people, you infect yourself, you know, with the same curse, you know, that was going on them. All right, that's our portion for this week. Shabbat shalom to all of you. Thank you for joining us. This broadcast has been made possible by the Lord and by the generous donations of brethren like you. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you, and shalom.